we are the country that keeps getting better because we try to be. Uh, we are hard, we are harshest critic. I get it. But people have to understand they got to look at our past and understand what we were up against, how we continue to defy the odds. Welcome to Reality Check, a weekly podcast about anything and everything having to do with education. I'm Jeannie Allen, founder and CEO of the Center for Education Reform. We chose the name Reality Check because a lot of what you read about education these days is often wrong or misleading. If you want to know what's really going on in American education, from K through career, you're going to need a reality check. On weekday mornings, Brian Kilmeade is familiar to viewers of Fox News as the co-host of Fox morning show Fox & Friends. He's also the host of his own Fox News radio program, The Brian Kilmeade Show. But Brian is also the author of several amazing New York Times bestselling historical books, including George Washington's Secret Six, Thomas Jefferson and the Tripoli Pirates, and Andrew Jackson and the Miracle of New Orleans. Brian's latest book, Sam Houston and the Alamo Adventures, brings readers behind the scenes of one of the most pivotal moments of American history. And Brian, I have to tell you, I have been so fascinated as I've torn through your book, and I'm so glad to have you on Reality Check. Welcome. Yeah, I did this one from a, an experiment to a project to now people are actually reading it. And when the book first comes out, I'm kind of astounded. I'm thinking to myself, how did you get it? But we were uh, we, we railed out the galleys. So thanks so much for reading it. Oh, it's fantastic. And I just have to ask, I mean, first of all, there's so many reasons that I wanted to have you on and that the book is fascinating to me. First of all, history is so important. What would you tell people about why you went down this road of being a fiction writer, but also taking um, a excuse me, about being a history writer and walking down this amazing road? Well, what I tried to do is I had this project originally, uh, George Washington spying. And when I grew up on Long Island, didn't know about it, I would be fascinated by it. But it wasn't helping me. I was doing sports, doing news. And when people say, what are you reading? It would always be a history book. But I was always be trying to find out about this big mystery about this top, this spy ring that was top secret until 1930, and then the Depression, World War II hit, no one really pursued it, got reinvigorated in the 60s, and there's so much yet to learn, and I was able to do it within 35 miles of my house. Mm-hmm. And when I saw some books being done on it, and I, and I saw National Treasure come up and I, with uh, Nicolas Cage, which was fiction, and then I watched The Patriot with Mel Gibson. I go, well, they just bastardized that story. It wasn't even that good, but it still did, it was successful. I said, I would love to be able to bring something new to this story. And I would love to see if people cared about it. And we had some interest, and it ended up being a lot of interest. You don't buy it. You buy it because of George Washington, but you close it thinking about every average everyday people who did an extraordinary thing for the idea of a country. Farmer shopkeeper, longshoreman, people related to all these people that put this ring together and never got fame and acclaim. And then I found the war on terror, George Washington's Secret Six. George Washington's Secret Six I followed up with Thomas Jefferson and the Tripoli Pirates because he was the first to take on Islamic extremism. And people like that because everyone knows Jefferson, but you don't know Stephen Decatur, you don't know his brother, you don't know William Eaton, you don't know uh, Edward Preble. You don't know these other people, and you find out how many extraordinary people were famous during their time, but not famous in our time. And that led me to the War of 1812, which I've always been fascinated with since I was lucky enough to go to the White House, and you see the burn marks on the archways by the bowling alley, and they say, well, that's when they burned Washington down, they burned the White House down. And if you're not interested in, in that story, and I was interested in Andrew Jackson, 
and how he won the Battle of New Orleans, this orphan kid at 13 who ends up being the two-term president, but first a major general in the uh, militia, a self-taught leader, and how he was able to overcome the number one superpower in the world. And that led me to, like, what would be next? And the Texas story always intrigued me. And I always thought, well, that's their state story. But when you realize Americans fought it, along with Teos, which is T-J-O-S, who were Mexicans who were living with the Texans in Texas, who fought for us and our cause. And you realize it's so much more than the Alamo. It's what happened after and what happened before. I thought Americans who wanted to know how we grew and went west would be interested in this story. And my fingers are crossed they will. I think they will. And, you know, I, I misstepped by originally calling it a fiction. It feels like you are reading this amazing story that would have never happened. And then you realize, oh, my gosh, Sam Houston and Alamo. You know, people might be tourists and they go to Texas and they see the Alamo and someone tells them what happened there. But all of the different people who I who claim and pride myself on being historically astute have never heard of, didn't know about and didn't realize why that battle was not only critical to Texas, to the entire country, frankly, to the entire hemisphere. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, Jackson and Jefferson were among the many who thought that we got in Louisiana Purchase, Texas. And in an effort just to end the dispute, we said if you, it, to the Spanish, if you give us Florida, we'll give you Texas, and we'll just call it a day. <laughs> and that was Secretary of State John Quincy Adams, and he gave it away. And Jackson never liked him anyway, and he never liked Jackson. He said, you got to be kidding me. You just gave away Texas. Why would you do that? Well, the Mexicans, the Spanish in 300 years could not populate Texas. They were too afraid of the Apaches and Comanches. Um, there was not enough people. Mexico fights for their freedom, so they leave. Mexico says, you're part of our state. We can't populate it. So Moses Austin, father of Stephen F. Austin, says, I got a deal. I'm looking to remake myself. What if I deliver you some families? We get some rules. You give us the land, and we'll make this a thriving area. You can't populate it anyway. So they cut a deal, but he, Moses dies, his, his son, in, in, raised in the Northeast. He says on his deathbed, he goes, would you, had, would you finish off this Texas deal? And he does. They get 300 families. They get huge swaths of land. There's no, there's no supermarkets or 7-Elevens, and they have to find a way to live off the land and thrive, and they do. These families do so well, families come flooding in. And when Santa Ana takes over, he looks around and goes, what's going on over in Texas? They outnumber Mexicans five, ten to one. Mm -hmm. They put more people there in 10 years than we put in 300 years. But we were still okay being there. But it was when Santa Ana decided to take uh, freedom and liberty away from the Texans, that's when the rubber hit the road. And that's when they said, we got to fight for our freedom. And the year was 1836. And they were a ragtag group, just like so many. I mean, this is the most fascinating thing. When I, when I think about the story that you tell there and the stories that you tell in your other books, Brian Kilmeade, that, the, you know, we've only been around, you know, a couple of hundred years comparably to everyone. And, and we can kind of reach back a fairly uh, short time and realize that real, you know, real ordinary people settled places, saved places, grew into business people, entrepreneurs. Gosh, you got a city named after Austin and Houston, and um, we know the names, but we don't know the history. How do we get people to really understand? Do you think this is the key, giving them something really interesting to read? Yeah, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not writing for the Yale professor. I have no interest in uh, trying to impress someone from Oxford. I want to write for everyday people who are doing 25 things at once. They want to sit down, get a true, accurate story, and know that in the records in Texas, you do an incredible job keeping it. There are so many books on Texas. I think it's one of the first, though, to look at the build-up to the Alamo and then bring you at, through the Alamo 
and see what happened to San Jacinto. And when you see what happens in a battle you never heard of outside Texas, and when you see that Sam Houston, who you first see fighting with Jackson in the War of 1812, you see the problems he had as governor of Tennessee, you see how he lived with the Cherokee Indians voluntarily, you see how he remade himself, and then we decided that his passion that he shared with Jackson about Texas could possibly be reached, and he reported for duty as things were really spiraling out of control. And when Santa Ana wanted to try to, um, to, to smooth over things in Texas, they were in a hell of a fight. And first, they were a two, two small wins, two devastating losses. Houston knew the first fight would be his last fight, and he had to find a way to win that fight. And you'll see the journey and what he went through to train his men as they poured in from America to get them ready to fight a Mexican army that has already been well-schooled and ready for this battle. And by shaping the battlefield and making the right decisions, he would be able to bring the fight to the Mexico. And what happens after that is something that you would put in a movie and people would say, well, that's so unlikely, I'm not going to script it. So in right. 18 minutes, he walks away with a victory. Right, and it's unbelievable because Sam Houston was not well, as you said, and he was not well-respected anymore. He kind of had fallen from grace numerous times from the president, from other people. Um, he was eschewed by people in his community. Um, he didn't have the whole Department of Defense behind him, right? You know, no. th- these, these, were, these were isolated individuals who united and who won a major battle, which ended up being pivotal in the development of our country. So what does that say about today when we think that everything we need to do has to be, you know, supported and we have to have a million agencies and people around us? I mean, these are individuals who made America. Yeah, it was different times. They didn't ask for government to bail them out. They asked for government to get out of the way. And that's all. In fact, they would have stayed an independent state of Mexico had the government not come in and said, you're going to pay us huge taxes. You're going to do what we tell, tell you. You're going to give us our stuff. And they said no. Number one, you're not providing any services. Number two, we are our own military. Number three, you're scared to death of the American Indians. We have worked out deals with the American Indians to coexist with them. We've been, you've been using us as a buffer to get in there. We just wanted to be left alone. And when they wouldn't do it, that's when we decided, uh, Americans in Texas at the time decided to fight. They paid a huge price at the Alamo. Everyone died, bodies burned. Huge, body, uh, huge price at Goliad. A, 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 these are forts that you're going to see November 17th. Because uh, November 17th is when a, an hour-long documentary on, the, on uh, Sam Houston and the Texas fight for freedom will air on television oh, on fantastic. the Fox News Channel. So you're going to see this all come to life with experts in the exact places that they went. And, and tell us about, uh, that's fantastic, so November 17th on Fox News, there'll be, uh, is it kind of a companion documentary, if you will? Yeah, uh, 8, 8 o'clock and 11 o'clock. I shot it in the summer. Uh, and it's uh, being edited now. I'm going to have a short piece airing on Fox and Friends uh, the day of a publishing, but the whole hour special will be on uh, will be on eight o'clock and eleven o'clock. You know, I think a lot of people also don't quite realize uh, that Davy Crockett factored prominently into the fight. So you'll see probably and hear about these you know these greats, these people that were in our you know textbooks when we were in first and second grade. Absolutely. So you think Davy Crockett's a mythical figure that Disney made bigger than life? He was bigger than life. They wrote a book about him when he was alive. He was the ultimate backwoodsman, a great shot, um, a great personality. He used to be able to play the fiddle, became a congressman, fought with Jackson, had a fallout with Jackson. And when, when Jackson tried to basically 
make sure he didn't win election. When he lost election, he goes, fine, I'll go to Texas. And he wanted to remake himself in Texas. And when him and Jim Bowie, two of the most famous people in the country, also go to Texas, and they join somebody who still lives in infamy today, William Barrett Travis. He's the 28-year-old lawyer trying to remake himself after a failed marriage. Mm. He is leading the troops. He is leading in, uh, at, at the Alamo and writing these eloquent letters saying, I need help. If you don't send help, we're ultimately going to die, but that's okay. Uh, we have decided we would do that, as I paraphrase, victory or death. And you've got to wonder what the makeup of an individual is when they're home, when they're uh, alone, writing these letters, knowing they're really writing, they're knowing that their life could end at any moment and was about to. Right. Right. Exactly. And, and the courage and perspective it takes. The other thing that struck me really interesting, because, you know, the, 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 a lot of our listeners here in Reality Check, they follow education. They follow kind of the knowledge world, I call it. We've talked to psychologists. But we talk to people who are really care about whether people in our world know stuff, right? And certainly about our kids. And, and then I love talking to people um, like yourself, Brian, once in a while, who've written, you know, books that are different, but that still kind of touch on this notion. And, and I think about all the intricacies and the details about how people live that don't seem to come alive anymore in history. Do you think that we're bored of history because it's not in front of us anymore? I mean, history used to be like the most fun that any kids would have going to school, and it's your field trips and you went. And and it doesn't seem like not only do we know much about history, but that people think it's interesting. Why is that? Well, no, I think I think the history, the History Channel is thriving. I mean, there's other history. There's History 1, History 2, even though they don't do much history on there anymore. I think people, if you show them a documentary about something that concerns them, like our past, I think they'll watch it. I don't think it's being taught correctly in school. I think they're looking to whitewash our past. And one thing about our past, if anything, we were too pro-American. Now we're so anti-American, people kind of want to bring you down off your high. Mm-hmm. And they want to say, well, there was slavery. Absolutely, that was a mistake. Women couldn't vote to the 1900s. Absolutely, that was a mistake. Guess what was happening the rest of the world? Slavery was everywhere, mm-hmm. everywhere, every continent. Brazil had thrived. It doesn't make it right, but it makes it the people of our times. And probably the easiest example for people to understand, in 2008, Barack Obama said marriage was between a man and a woman. Now, if you say that, uh, you're looked at as a bigot or homophobic. Mm-hmm. But even Barack Obama wouldn't have tolerated what Barack Obama believed. Is he a bad person? No. He was a person of his time, and that's just 20 years ago. Right. I mean, think about what's going on now. Ten years ago, what am I saying? Uh, Ten years ago. So we are the country that keeps getting better because we try to be. Uh, We are are our harshest critic. I get it. But people have to understand they got to look at our past and understand what we're up against, how we continue to defy the odds. In the stories that I told you earlier, I still can't get my head around the success we had. This one is truly unthinkable. I mean, what happened with the slight grade in the battlefield that allowed them to be somewhat hidden as they galloped forward to engage the enemy, who mysteriously decided since it was 2 o'clock and we hadn't started fighting yet, they would get some rest. (laughs) And we actually snuck up on the Mexican army when they were sleeping, even though they were better armed, better trained, with greater numbers, and wiped them out in 18 minutes. Amazing. It, it, it is extraordinary that to think that that is what could turn history, you know, and, and, and the question that, you know, we ask is, you know, would any great leaders be capable of, of, of dealing with sort of those things today? We got some of the best generals of this generation, General Ordierno, General McChrystal. General McChrystal is actually on my special. He's such, so passionate about the Alamo, um, who is uh, ever famously fired unjustly by Barack Obama. And then we have General Petraeus. We had some great leaders. 
um, who know how to take advantage of our technological advantage. But it's a lot harder, I believe, protecting a country when the rest of the world wants to see it fail, because these leaders don't want elections. They don't want their the leadership question. They don't want to lose their best citizens to this 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 place that gives you the opportunity to have pursue happiness, mm-hmm. as opposed to stay in your class and not be heard. And to your point earlier about understanding history to the context of what was happening, our founders did say toward a more perfect union, right, Brian? And and so this is part of knowing this and understanding it and being able to read Sam Houston, Alamo Avengers, and all these books really brings it home for us. Brian Kilmeade, uh, Fox News host, uh, a or author extraordinaire, New York Times best-selling historical books from George Washington to about Thomas Jefferson and the Tripoli Pilots. You all have to go out and get this book, Sam Houston and the Alamo Avengers. Make sure that you watch Fox News November 17th. I am a huge fan. I'm not I'm not kidding you. I read so much stuff, and I'm so tired of reading things that aren't interesting. I could not put this down. So clearly you have um, not just a passion and an interest, but a gift. So thank you so much for being my guest today on Reality Check. Thanks so much. If anybody wants it, BrianKillMe.com. This way I can personalize it for you for the holidays. Brian, Thanks so much. BrianKillMe.com and also BrianKillMe.com slash events. All the places you're going to be talking about the book uh, is there. Yeah, what a great idea, a Christmas present. Love it. Great. Thanks thank so you. much, Brian. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this edition of Reality Check. You can subscribe to Reality Check at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in and never miss an episode. Visit us online at edreform.com and follow CER on Twitter at edreform and me, Jeannie Allen. I look forward to exploring the world of education with you and another prominent guest next time. See you then.